Welcome to Out of the Arts with Beth and Amy. We will help you bridge the gap between an arts career and a career outside the arts industry. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media at Out of the Arts, linked in the show notes. Hey, awesome humans. Are you looking for a good book to cuddle up with that'll light your fire? Well, you've come to the right place. In December, we are sharing with you our favorite things, and this episode, we're talking about some of our favorite books. So today, we have seven books to share with you. These books help us rekindle our flame and feel ignited when maybe we feel a little more defeated. We're going to start off with a book called My Name is Asher Lev. The author is Chaim Potok. He himself was a Hasidic Jewish artist and writer. And he wrote this book. It's actually a young adult novel, and I read it in high school. But it still sticks with me now almost 20 years later because particularly as an angsty teen who was just starting to blossom into who would become a creative artist, artistic professional, it really gets to the heart of who an artist is and should be. It's about a Hasidic Jewish boy named Asher Lev. Is this fiction or nonfiction? This is fiction. He's growing up in Brooklyn in the 1950s, and he decides that he's going to pursue his artistic talents. He, But he is learning to see the world through an artist's critical eye. He's learning how to express himself. He's learning how to follow his heart despite familial and societal pressures. The art that he paints is at odds sometimes with his family and religious values. And so that comes to a head as well. And his journey, I think, is really relatable to anyone who's been on the artist's journey at any time in any way. Or who has ever felt like their passions are misunderstood. There are so many lessons to be learned in the context of Asher's story and his growth as both an artist and the person he is becoming. So when I first read this in high school, just really latched on to Asher and his ideas, how he sees the world. There's a quote from this book that I love. I, if I'm not mistaken, it's from his, his teacher to Asher. And it says, an artist is a person first. He is an individual. If there is no person, there is no artist. And as an artist and as a creative professional and as a person just trying to make their way in the world... I think this is so relatable and so beautiful and a reminder that we consistently need that you have to be a person first. So I highly recommend My Name is Asher Lev by Chaim Potok 
for anyone who is struggling with their artistry in a time of uncertainty. That's very cool. I don't know that I remember most books I read from that period. I have no memory, so. (laughs) I mean, I can't say I remember a ton either, but some just stick with you for Lord knows what reason, and this was one of them. It just stuck. So, yeah. Our second book today is Minority Leader by Stacey Abrams, the Queen of Georgia. I think a lot of people are (laughs) comfortable claiming her as. She may not be the governor, but... She's the queen of Georgia. That's the truth. I picked up this book because I know that while she did not win her political campaign in 2018, she stayed in the fight and she continued to advocate for voting rights and she continues, even today, to advocate for minorities and citizens in Georgia And giving people a way to really be represented politically, whatever that means for them. You know, it means very different things for different people. Knowing that about her, I saw this book and said, yeah, sure, pick it up. Even in the first chapter, she starts off talking about her childhood and how she was going for an award. And then she ended up winning And actually going away to this camp for really smart kids and really engaged kids and feeling she felt stupid the entire time because she couldn't riddle off different statistics and she couldn't riddle off different pieces of information. But she came to terms with just being uncomfortable with not being the smartest person in the room. But that didn't mean that she didn't have a place in the room because her perspective is just as important as some other people's perspective even if she can't do some of the things they can do. And now we know that she has a law degree from, is it Harvard or Yale? Yale. So now we know this about her, but she talks about that process of growing up and she talks about taking a seat at the table. Yes, it's important for you because everybody deserves a seat at the table, but it's important for you because we need to fight for other people to also have a seat at the table. It's not just about me, Beth, having a seat at the table so that I can advocate for me. I need to have a seat at the table so I can advocate for other people, other minorities, other disenfranchised populations. She says, at its most complex, ambition should be animation of soul. Not simply a job but a disquiet that requires you to take action, which explains so much of the work she's done. Yes. Yes. And that really, just that quote right there, just is so beautiful and so moving and so right. I have gone back and forth consistently on staying in, You know, do I stay in government work? Do I go to nonprofit work? Do I go to for-profit work? Each of them has their own pros and cons. But when I think about my own career, where I've come from, coming from nonprofit life, which I loved, now being in a government industry, and then reading that, like reading this book makes you kind of want to take on the world. (laughs) So just be ready for it (laughs) because it's a real thing. I love that. 
and her her story and I've I've seen her speak not live obviously but would love to she's just she's she's so down to earth and so genuine in her ideas and I just love what she has to say and she's a she's a constant inspiration and reminder that everyone has value yes and her parents i mean she's one of i think six kids and her parents never told her like they didn't tell her oh you're going for this award just so you know no one who is of color has gotten recommended from this state (laughs) they just didn't tell her they said you want it cool let's go Mm, love it So, for our third book, I chose Dear Girls, Intimate Tales, Untold Secrets, and Advice for Living Your Best Life by Ali Wong. And Ali Wong is one of my favorite comedians and comedy writers. She is just so unapologetically unapologetic i mean she just (laughs) she just tells it like it is and she puts a great spin on things i mean sometimes she's super raunchy sometimes she is really brash and straightforward sometimes she has this great build-up doesn't she have a, like, skit about being super pregnant? Oh, yeah. So both of her comedy specials, Baby Cobra and Hard Knock Wife, she's pregnant in them. She was doing these comedy tours and these comedy specials pregnant both times. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. She has an entire chapter in the book about being pregnant and early motherhood and how great it is, but also how much it really sucks, (laughs) (laughs) which is great because, you know, there's this idea of toxicity and toxic negativity that we're so constantly focused on, but there, there can also be toxic positivity. And what happens in the case of like new motherhood, for example, is new motherhood is not easy. And I am not a mother, never been pregnant. I can't say from personal experience, but having seen my sister and close friends have children, it is not easy. And what we see, especially now in the social media age, is like, look at the beauty of motherhood and look at the, you know, all of these wonderful things, the connection between mother and baby. And that's great too. And that is also a real thing. But some new mothers have a really hard time. And we don't talk enough about how new mothers, like, in the first week of your child being home, here are all the weird things that are going to happen. Right. All of the gross, weird things that are going to happen with your body. All of the sleep you're not going to get for the first several months of your baby's life and what that does to your life. Yeah. And so she talks about all of these things. She just, it's no, no holds barred. I mean, she just talks about all of these things and it's a memoir. She talks about her life and the lessons that she learned in the context of things that happened to her. 
And she's not afraid to set fire to cultural norms, but she also does it with this brilliant insight and sincerity. This book is great because it's called Dear Girls. It's written in the form of a letter to her daughters, Mari and Nikki. Very cool. Yes, and so she's giving life advice to her daughters, which is great. But I also listened to it in audiobook form, so it was basically like an extended Ali Wong comedy special because she obviously does her own audiobook performance, and it's just great hearing these stories come out of her mouth and hearing the way she delivers things. So if you have the option, and if you're an audiobook person, I definitely advise the audiobook. But she she just works through all of the difficult things, the marginalization of women and Asians, particularly in the entertainment industry, the value of hard work, personal connection, how to work through relationships, marriages, parenthood, and all of these types of things. She stresses how important it is to be genuine, hardworking, open-minded, all of the things that I also value. And for, I think, artists in particular, because she comes from a performing arts and entertainment industry background, she has some insight to offer there as well. So Dear Girls by Ali Wong, read it or listen to it better yet. I've never read Bossy Pants. I just listened to Bossy Pants and I loved it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not on our list today, but I'm going to honorable mention it as another thing you need to listen to because I remember listening to it and dying. That's one that I actually never listened to, but I did read it. And even then, it's still, I mean, Tina Fey has such a way of connecting with people through her comedy and her writing is so strong. She really, you get when she's setting up a joke or when she's using sarcasm and all of those things that typically you would need audio clues for. But the way she writes, you also don't require them. It still comes across in her writing when you read it. And she's so great. All these brilliant women speaking. Ah, I love it. I, yes. Two out of the three books that I've gonna recommend today are from women the second book that i have on the list which is our fourth book overall is make trouble by cecile richards and you can't see my book but i'm holding it up and it is tabbed to pieces because every time i wanted to remember a quote or highlight a piece i tabbed it so there's tabs you can hear my tabs make trouble is the book of Cecile Richards, and she talks about everything from growing up, her parents getting divorced in Texas in the, I think maybe in the 60s. So way before divorce was norm. And she talks about campaigning and organizing for campaigns and doing it, doing it in college and then she talks about how her mom was running for a political office and her mom what she says about her mom is my mother decided she wasn't going to wait until she had the perfect resume and she certainly wasn't going to wait until she was guaranteed success every political race she's gotten into it was because she knew she was more qualified and could do a better job than the incumbent 
even if she was the only one who thought so. That's something that we don't advocate for enough. This whole book is women power about her, her mom. She talks about her kids and how her kids have been involved. And I think she, she has multiples who are now grown. And it's just a really interesting full story. I mean, we probably know her most as the woman who ran Planned Parenthood. We probably know her most. I'm in my 30s. Amy's in her 30s. I mean, my strongest memory of her is her being in, I guess, Congress called her for a hearing. Mm-hmm. And asked her to talk about where funds were going to, making sure that fun- federal funding wasn't going towards abortions, which we all know... Federal funding doesn't go to abortions. But it does help Planned Parenthood, who does a hundred million great things for not only women, but all genders who need medical care. So while we know her from that, this book goes into detail of growing up, goes into detail about being at Planned Parenthood. She does talk about that hearing, which is very cool. She talks about sitting there and listening to questions and just being like, okay, let's just answer the questions and move on. <laughs> so it's a great book. It is very dense. So there is 200, 260 some odd pages and it is full of stuff. It is not a quick read by any stretch of the imagination. So make sure you've planned some time for this, but a great book, again, really advocating for women and people to take power positions to help others. And as always, we will have this list posted to the website. So go to Out of the Arts and check it out. Yes. Okay, so next for book number five. Yeah, five. I am coming at you with some more fiction. It's worth noting that Beth reads primarily like memoirs, biographies, and uh, personal growth books. I actually read primarily fiction because I'm a I'm a big time reader who loves to just get lost in fictional worlds. So I brought some fiction into this because there's a lot to be learned from fiction too. I think we can sometimes forget that. But I want to talk about The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. My French is super rusty. That was pretty gross. But this book was written like 80 years ago. So it almost feels like a cop-out. You're not going to find it in New and Notables at the bookstore. But it's a favorite all over the world. It's been translated into, I think, over 300 languages. And I wanted to touch on it because as a kid, it was read to me. And I was like, yeah, that's one of my favorites. And then I probably haven't read it again in 25 years. And so this year, just shortly after quarantine happened, I started to revisit some old favorites and some things that 
were nostalgic that would help de-stress. And so I revisited The Little Prince, this time again in the form of an audiobook, the audiobook version by Viggo Mortensen. I just love his voice. He tells the story so well. And as a creative professional adult, it really hits differently than it did as a kid. Who knows why four-year-old me decided it was a favorite, but maybe just intuition. But now I can certify and say that it is one of my favorites, even as an adult, because it tells the story of a little prince from a little planet who visits other planets. He comes to Earth and he makes friends with the narrator who is a pilot who has crashed and is lost in the desert. And this pilot is an adult who metaphorically as well as literally lost his way and this little prince who theoretically is an adult but comes across very childlike he offers a a, a childlike perspective to this pilot and It's so charming, and it's both delightfully nostalgic escapism and deeply life-affirming all at the same time. (laughs) And there are a couple of, of points that it hits that are super, super important, I think, to creative professionals and to people who see the world in a different way or want to see the world in a different way. So there's one quote from it that says, And now here is my secret, a very simple secret. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. And it's just a a beautiful reminder of humanity and that the important things are things that you feel, not that you see. And then... This is sort of reiterated in another quote that says, the most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or touched. They are felt with the heart. So for anyone who, again, is looking to reaffirm their creativity, especially in a time when you're unsure about things as far as your creative career is concerned, then I suggest you reconnect with The Little Prince. That's very cool. I never read that ex- growing up or as an adult. I just haven't read that book. But that's really cool that it is something that is both acceptable for little kids and something that you can re-enjoy as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. Have you done that with any other books? Let's see. There are probably a few that I've revisited. I've revisited the His Dark Materials trilogy as an adult. I've revisited the Anne of Green Gables series as an adult. I've revisited The Giver. Oh, how is The Giver as an adult? Oh, it is so different, but great. I mean, it still offers amazing insight. I think, I mean, I have two 
child slash young adult books on this list, and I think there's a lot to be said for them. Just because the language may not be super sophisticated because they're, it's intended for younger people doesn't mean the ideas can't be sophisticated and doesn't mean the, yeah. I, the ideas and values can't also apply to adults. And so I like to revisit and also just read. I, I keep tabs on young adult literature even as an adult, and own and read quite a bit because I, they, they say a lot. And they say it almost more simply because it's intended for children. So there's, there's less metaphor and more simply dealing with these ideas more straightforwardly. And I highly recommend yeah, I remember enjoying The Giver as a young adult. There were some books that I think back and I'm like, why would I read, ever read that as a young adult? Just because it's quote unquote a classic doesn't mean you have to love it or connect with it. Yeah. Yeah, I have no classics. I have no young adult books here. I have... <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Not my gift. But hopefully we have books here that'll reach everybody. My third book, and we come up on our sixth book, is The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton with Laura Love Harden. Anthony Hinton was in jail for over 30 years for crimes he did not commit. He was on death row. You want a book about changing your life? This is good. This is an Oprah book club book from 2018. I think I read it about a year and a half ago. And not only does he talk about the injustices within the system, apparently all the books I read are just about firing me up so I can go <laughs> fight people. Because the entire first half of this book is about how he was taken into custody even though there was no connecting him to the crime, he was really persecuted just for being existing, just for existing. So you talk, you go through the beginning of the story, going to jail. He loses his mother while he's in jail. She passes away. He's on death row. And he starts a book club with... Some of the other guys there. And apparently, like, they don't get books when you're on death row. Apparently, that was a thing. And so people would send in a couple of books. And they would rotate the books around. It took, like, a week per person. So it took a couple of days, a couple weeks for them to all get through the book. And then they'd have a book club meeting and talk through the books. And, And I remember him talking about... The people who were on death row who ended up being executed while there and how, you know, what their last meal was, what their last day was like. And on one hand, you know, I've gone back and forth personally on the death penalty and what I think about it. You know, just from a purely financial standpoint, it makes sense. But... 
we as humans should not be doing things just for financials. <laughs> we should be better mm-hmm. than that. So, if you're not just thinking about the financials and you're thinking about real freaking people and the amount of people who are on death row who may or may not be guilty, is are we in a position to do this? Is this really a thing? So for me, this book is, A, lighting my fire to think about who to go fight. But also, it was a cool connection when you get to the end of the book. He, he talks about having his freedom. And he says, freedom is a funny thing. I have my freedom, but in some ways, I'm still locked on the row. I know what day they're serving fish for dinner. I know when it's visiting day and at what point the guys are walking in the yard. My mind goes back there every single day, and I realize it was easier for my mind to leave the row when I was inside than it is now that I'm free. And earlier we were talking about having your former life. Like, his his former life was in jail. He spent more time in jail than he did out of jail. I think he went to jail when he was late teens, early 20s. So... He definitely gives you that perspective of leaving leaving a life behind. And it's it's a great story. It is not a hard read. It is a pretty easy read. But you hear from both him and from legal perspectives. So it's a really cool storytelling of what happened. Yeah. Mm. Isn't that twisted, though? Like, And we, we hear that this happens. We hear it in such an abstract way. Oh, this person went to jail, but they were found innocent years later. And we hear it so abstractly. Sometimes you just need to hear it in those specifics. Yeah, I hear it from the first person and, and really get that perspective. I remember when that book came out, too. And it was like, people were surprised that this is a thing that happens. Right. Because that would never happen. We're the greatest country in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) a few years ago, I was attending a lecture with Farid Zakaria. And he basically said something along the lines of, you know when you you know when you are rushing and you have to find a specific clothing item and it's in the hamper already it's dirty but you pull it out you kind of shake it out and you're like oh it's not so bad i can still wear it it's the cleanest it's the cleanest dirty piece of laundry he said that's what america's like we're the cleanest dirty piece of laundry and <laughs> who you know, is he he is a journalist. Okay. Yeah, we're the we're the cleanest we're the cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry pile or something like that was what he said. And so that that's what I think of every time someone says, you know, America's the greatest country, the greatest superpower on the earth or something like that. It's like, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of great things, but we are far from perfect and our prison system is one of the worst in developed nations, I think. 
I, <laughs> yes, I talked about, I did a section when I was teaching intro to theater about theater in different communities. And I did a section about theater in prisons and, you know, when people, the rehabilitation rate of people when they come out of prison and how many prisoners we have. And I made a comment about how the United States prisons is, you know, we have some of the highest rates of people in prison in general in first world countries. And one of the students was like, well, that can't be true. Where did you get that from? And I said, well, I got it from this this site that tracks prisons in multiple countries. I said, let's just go look at it and make sure it's a viable site. So let's pull it up. And so I pulled it up and I said, okay, this is what they're saying prison rate is in America. What other countries do you want to look at? And so we started pulling up other countries and we used Canada a lot as a reference point for per capita and our percentages were significantly different and the students hadn't thought about that at all or hadn't known that or didn't believe that when I first said it to them I said well let's just go look I can be wrong maybe I picked a bad site let's check out the site and make sure that it's a good resource and let's do some critical thinking and then we got through it and they're like well that sucks I was like yes Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying. And then we've seen art about it as well. Obviously, one of the most notable things about the current American prison system is Orange is the New Black. And we see all of the, the things that go on in this prison from being publicly funded to privately owned and the... Uh, brutal behavior of the guards and the improper training and the improper resources and and all of these things and so getting getting this perspective I think can teach us a lot about what's what's going on inside those walls and seeing that the the system is unperfect and hopefully that can inspire people to do more and what breaks my heart is when people watch things like that and they're like oh that was a cool show and then have no concept of the realities behind it right oh right like yes this may be fiction technically but it is based in truth yeah and i don't know if it's that people don't realize that or don't want to realize that or a combination of both but that's why it's important to have these stories like Anthony Ray Hinton's who who firsthand went through the system in real life for a crime he didn't commit. And he was and it's not just because uh you know there was there was a mix up or anything like that. There's also obviously a huge racial aspect to it that's something that our country needs to face as well so yep yeah these these books are important and these stories are important so let's move on to something with a lighter note 
Maybe something not so traumatizing. <laughs> Maybe just traumatizing yes. in a different way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the last book on our list today is Unique Ability, Creating the Life You Want by Catherine Nomura and Julia Waller with Shannon Waller. And this book, so I'm going to read actually just a sort of blurb quote from it. Unique ability is the essence of what you love to do and do best. There are four characteristics of unique ability. It's a superior ability that other people notice and value. You are passionate about using it and want to use it as much as possible. It's energizing both for you and others around you. And there's a sense of never-ending improvement. You keep getting better and better and never run out of possibilities for growth. So this is the theory behind unique ability. And it's a bit of a technical read in comparison to the others we've already talked about, especially in comparison to the fiction books that I've talked about. But what it does, it helps you think and develop an actionable plan for growth and happiness in your career. It's really similar to our Find Your Perfect Job Venn diagram and worksheet because it talks about the intersection of taking what you do well and also what you love and putting it together to help you create the life you want. The book itself is almost like a workbook or textbook. It, it reads relatively dryly, but it is in manageable sections. So if you want to do some personal work, you can just take it in a small section and do that work and come back to it. It presents a lot of ideas, facts, and figures activities to identify and develop your unique ability. And it was super helpful for me as a young professional. It was actually given to me by a previous boss and mentor who herself was a classical musician. She was a trombonist who then went into finance and sales. I was working with her in that capacity at the time, and when she was training me, she gave me this book because her approach to sales and to finance was in the humanity, in the helping people, and in the personal growth and growing with people. She was less about the bottom line and more about the the personal stuff. So she gave me this book and it was really helpful for me when I was in, it was right at that time when I had sort of started to go in a different direction from performing, but also hadn't quite let go of it yet and was just upside down and back and forth about what I was doing. And it really helped me just start to organize my thoughts and my ideas and brought me to a place where I was able to say, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. How can I move toward these things that I do want? So Unique Ability by 
Catherine Nomura and Julia Waller recommend if you're looking for really kind of a true technical self-help actionable plan to help you work through these thoughts when you're in a career change. Which is sometimes really nice. It's nice to have, you know, worksheets at the end of a chapter. Um, Minority Leader has that as well. Once you get to the end of chapter, she has four or five questions for you. And you can either print off some worksheets she does have available online or just write in your book if you want. I'm a big fan of writing in your books. I don't know if that's blasphemous. (laughs) It depends. I'm personally not a huge book writer because I'm... Or in book writer, I should say, because I'm a I'm a person who journals a lot. So I'll just kind of go to my journal and write about thoughts I'm having as I'm reading. But I wouldn't call it blasphemous per se. Oh, that's good. That's <laughs> some people do, I think. They I think some people probably do. Some people have strong opinions about it. It depends. I would say I mean, if I'm going to write in a book, it's going to be in pencil for the most part. And if you're going to quote unquote deface a book, I would rather you're writing in it because at least books are meant to share ideas, right? And stories. So if you're writing in it and writing down additional ideas and questions and things, it's just expanding upon what the book is doing. It's almost like you know, footnotes or something like that. So I think that's a better way to go. Whereas if you're going to dog ear a book, that is big no-no. Don't do that. That bugs me to no end. I was not expecting that to go there, but that's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Also, her face is very stoic. Like, she has very much made that decision. (laughs) Yes. I have very strong opinions about books. And how to treat them. And dog earring is mm-mm, deal breaker. Well, we'll have links to all this on our website. Please make sure to check it out. If you get any of these books and you've enjoyed the recommendation, please leave us a note. Either send us an email or find us on Instagram. I think the fun part about this list is that just about any book can be meaningful if you can find meaning in it. And I think that sounds so obvious, but make sure that when you're reading, you're thinking critically and you're relating because that's what it's there for. There's always something you can relate to. So take these books, maybe run with them, maybe don't. If you have other ideas, let us know. Just know that I mean, I'm a big proponent for reading. Read as much as you can. Learn new ideas. See new perspectives. And go out and be better. Thank you for joining us today on Out of the Arts Podcast. If you have questions or want to see specific content, please leave a comment or email podcast at outofthearts.com. See you next time. And until then, we are rooting for you.